conference this weekend and then getting a little vacation time with his family. I'm Rusty, one of the pastors here at the Ridge. Uh, usually I'm behind the scenes doing stuff like that, so I know there's a lot of you I haven't got a chance to meet and would really like to meet you. But I'll be bringing the message today. Bobby will be back next week. Uh, he'll start a new series next week. We finish up the series on prayer, talking with God today. And then next week, Bobby's going to jump into a new series on the book of John. And I guess let me start by saying just how excited I am to be here this morning. And uh, there's two reasons that I'm really excited to be here. One is uh, I get excited anytime I get to share the word of God. That's obvious. But the other reason is, is the last two times I've been scheduled to speak at the Ridge, I've ended up in the hospital. <laughs> and about a month ago, when Bobby let me know that I was on schedule to speak today, I got a little nervous. <laughs> Actually, I got a lot nervous. Uh, I was even nervous yesterday, driving around. I was, you know, sort of head on a swivel and the whole bit. Almost afraid to leave the house. But with, with that in mind, let's go ahead and get started before somebody has to call me an ambulance. And <laughs> I'm still a little nervous. Uh, <laughs> so these last three weeks, Bobby's been talking about prayer, and he started out by talking about uh, his prayer for us. And then the week after that, he talked about ask him about how to pray. And then last week, he talked about hear him. Uh, how do we hear back from God when we do pray? Today, we're going to wrap up the series with when you, when you do hear back from God, what do you do? When God says no, thank you, Bobby, for giving me this language. <laughs> Actually, <clears throat> I'm sorry, the, the, the worship part has got me a little teary and snotty. Sorry. Uh, actually, in, in all fairness, Bobby gave me the option to opt out of the topic. Uh, he sent the four topics uh, for the series, and he gave me the option because he knew that this is a very personal topic to me. I've been told no by God way more times than I would like to admit, and on some really, really big things I've been told no on, uh, at least big from my point of view. And so it's, he knew it was personal. And so like any good little Christian, I told Bobby, oh, I'll pray about it. And I did. I prayed about it. I said, God, I mean, come on, really? When you say no? Uh, and I'm supposed to be speaking on that Sunday? What about it? Can you think out of that just coincidence, or can, can I take one of the other topics? Yeah, he said no. <laughs> and people say that God doesn't have a sense of humor. Uh, so he said no. So here I am. Uh, remember when you were younger, uh, maybe uh, elementary school or maybe even high school, and there was something that you really, really wanted? I mean, more than all the other stuff that you thought you really, really wanted. You really, really wanted this. And you ask your parents, and they said, no. Remember something like that? I vividly remember being in high school, my junior year in high school, and there was this cute little blonde sophomore that I really wanted to go out with. Mm, I had my eye on her. She was, oh, she was cute. The only problem was she had a boyfriend. She always seemed to have a boyfriend, and I was a scrawny little thing, and I sure wasn't going to try to cut in on somebody and get the daylights beat out of me so I just had to keep waiting right but it seemed like every time I'd wait and then something would happen and then before I could take my chance somebody else would would jump in before me so finally one day I get word in class that she just broke up with her boyfriend <laughs> time to seize the day right here 
bell rang. I was out of the room like I was shot out of a cannon. Down the hallway looking for her. It was a small high school, so it wasn't too hard to find her. Down the hallway, found her, asked her out. She said yes. <laughs> Sweet. It was great. I mean, I was jacked. I get home that evening, and I ask my mom. say, Mom, can I have the car on Saturday night? I got a date. Well, Mom was pretty happy about me having a date, but, you know, and we only had one car, so... She looked at me, and, you know, you could tell that it looked like it was going good, right? And she said, well, who are you taking out? And so I told her the girl's name. And she said, no. <laughs> you can't have the car. As a matter of fact, you can't go out with her Saturday night or any night for that matter. <clears throat> and, of course, I did the obligatory, why not? And she informed me because... She wasn't going to let me ruin my reputation. I, I, obviously, as most teenagers, I didn't settle for that answer. I kept going, right? Apparently, my mother knew something that I didn't know. Uh, so she explained to me that there's a good reason why this young, cute little blonde always, always had a boyfriend and another boyfriend, and another boyfriend, and another boyfriend. Now, she summed all that up in, like, a word, which I won't direct quote her here. <laughs> we thought about it, but no, I, 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 I won't. You can figure it out. I mean, I argued. Oh, my goodness. I explained to her how she was wrong. She didn't know what she was talking about. You know, it, stuff she heard couldn't be true. Uh, she, she was not being fair, she was being judgmental, the whole bit, right? Still no. Parents, question for you. Do you ever tell your kids no? Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Why do you tell them no? Well, you tell them no, one, because you're a good parent. You tell them no because you know more than they do. Although if they're a teenager, they will argue that point with you, but you know, regardless of how much they argue, that you still know more than they do, right? You know that you have a better understanding on the situation that they do. You see the bigger picture that they do. But the main reason you tell them no is because you love them. What about when we ask God the Father? When we ask Him for something? Does he ever say no? Sure he does. Why? Because he's a good parent. Because he knows more than we do. He sees the bigger picture. He understands the situation. And even more importantly, because he loves us. Now, maybe it's something that seems big to us at the time, but really isn't a big thing. How many of you have offered up this prayer? Lord, please let, let, let that light stay green. Right? Mm -hmm. Or let it turn green, let it stay green, just let me get through, something like that. Uh, this past week, I was over on Pellissippi Raceway, I mean Parkway, <laughs> and I was heading over to West Knoxville. Uh, I was making relatively good time in the left lane and uh, experienced an OCM. You're familiar with an OCM? That's an oh crap moment. Because I, <laughs> I looked at my rearview mirror 
and there were blue lights in my rearview mirror from a nice little black unmarked patrol car. I immediately did two things. One, I checked my speedometer. Two, I started praying. Lord, please don't let him pull me over. Let him get somebody else. Just not me, Lord. I immediately reduced speed, turned on my right turn signal, slid over into the right lane, and watched him go right on by. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> now, <laughs> oh, man, really? Oh, really? Come on. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, now, did God, I'm, I'm sure that God, he didn't even answer that prayer. I'm pretty sure he just rolled his eyes when I offered up that prayer. I got no answer on that one at all. And because the, the officer, he didn't pull anybody over. He was on, obviously on a call someplace else, and he was just gone out of sight in no time. And I actually, in prepping for this message, got convicted about that prayer in a big way, and that'll be a blog post coming later on a Ridge site. But, you know, sometimes God tells us no because just because of the nature of the prayer. In James uh, 4.3, it says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. In other words, too many of our prayers are for things that we want, things that we're interested in. And we leave God out of the whole picture. We're not concerned about what God wants. We're concerned about what we want. And so we, God's not interested in what we want as much as he is interested in what he wants. Because, oh yeah, he's God. You know. But what about those times when you know that what you're asking for is a good thing? If your heart's in the right place. Okay? Uh, Lord, Please, I, I need a job. Open, open some doors. Uh, Lord, Lord, please let me get this job. Lord, please don't let it be cancer. Uh, Lord, please heal me. Or, or Lord, please heal this person that I love dearly. Uh, just, just heal them. And sometimes God says yes. And when he says yes, we, we celebrate and we praise him. But sometimes, even though it's a good, it's a righteous prayer, it's, it's in the right mindset. Sometimes he says no. Then what do we do? Then what do we do? Let's look, take a look at some things that God says. We're gonna, the scripture today is going to come out of 2 Samuel 7. Uh, it's a little long. It's going to be 1 through 22. Uh, it's going to be up on the screen. Uh, we're going to read through it, and then we're going to go back and, and recap it, especially since it's a long one, okay? So 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 22. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. 
In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I've been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You've spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord, O God. For there is none like you, and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Now that's a lot. Now that was from the ESV, uh, the main version that we use here at the Ridge. Okay, uh, so let me give you, let me sort of go back and recap it for you uh, by giving the the RSV. Uh, the RSV is the Rusty Sampson version. Um, so the story goes like this. Three main characters in this event, right? God, King David, king of Israel at that time, a man after God's own heart, and Nathan, a prophet. Now, let me, uh, just so we can understand the whole prophet thing here. A prophet was somebody who God spoke directly to. And he would send, uh, he would come to him in a dream or a vision uh, and then say, go tell this person or these people these things and go from there. Now, there was a zero tolerance for prophets being wrong. Okay? You could, as a prophet, you could be wrong one time. Now, the first time you were wrong, they didn't take away your prophet card. They didn't kick you out of the prophet club. They just calmly walked you out of town and stoned you to death. You, if you said, thus saith the Lord, or the Lord says for me to tell you this, you better, you better be on spot. It better really be from God. Because if it doesn't happen... You're gone, okay? That's the sort of setup to Nathan. So David has been out fighting battles, fighting wars with the Lord's help. He's conquered all of his enemies. He's back home. He's sitting in his palace. 
him and Nathan are kicked back, relaxing, you know, and it occurs to David, you know, I live in this great palace. God, God's outside in a tent. Because at that time in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was carried around on poles because if you touched it, you died. So they carried it around on poles, and when they would get someplace, they would build this tent and put the Ark of the Covenant in the tent, and that's where God dwelt. So David's saying, look, you know, I've got this nice palace. God has blessed me. The least I can do is build God a house, build him a palace, build him a temple. Well, Nathan, he tells Nathan that. Nathan says, well, you know, God's been with you for all this stuff. Sounds like a good idea. Go for it. And Nathan goes home. That night, God comes to Nathan and says, uh, Nathan, David asked me about building a house. Did you ask me if I want him to build me a house? No, Lord. Nathan, I don't want him to build me a house. I'm going to have his son build me a house. He can't build me a house. He shed too much blood. Now, that comes out of Chronicles. First Chronicles is also sort of, there's this, mirrors the same event over in First Chronicles a couple of books later. You, know, you shed too much blood. I, I can't have him. No, he's not going to be the one that I want to build me a house. It's truly an OCM moment, I'm sure, for Nathan at this point, right? I mean, he just told the king, go ahead. Fortunately, he didn't tell the king, you know, God said to go ahead and do it. So Nathan got to live. So he goes back and tells David. David, the Lord says don't, don't build him a house. You're not the one to build it. Your son's going to do it, not you. You shed too much blood. Now, what did David do? And this is important because David didn't throw up the, what What do you mean I can't, what do you mean I spilt too much blood? He was with me. I won those battles because he was with me. He was there. I mean, that's not fair. David didn't say that. He didn't pout. He didn't get mad. He didn't whine. He didn't fuss. He didn't stop around. What did he do? said he went in to the Lord. He went into the tent and sat down to talk to God. And he trusted God and he thanked God. He realized that he was nothing. What am I? What is my house that you would do this for me? He realized how blessed he was and he trusted God. Okay? Now, I know it's easy to sort of read that and go, come on, Rusty, you know, that, that, that's great. And next time I ask God if, he want, if I want to build him a house, and he says, no, well, I'll, I'll, I'll handle it well. Thank you for sharing. Uh, yeah, I, I got bigger problems. I got bigger problems. Okay, that's fair. Take a look at Jesus. The night that Jesus was arrested, he takes the disciples, and he goes up to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's going there to get away and to pray. And he takes three of the disciples and he goes up a little further and he, takes, he puts them at one place to sort of stay and, and watch and pray. And he goes on up to, by himself to, to spend time with the Father in prayer. And in Matthew 26, 39, it says, And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And God said no. And what did Jesus do? He got up, listened to his father, trusted his father, 
and walked into unimaginable suffering. Now, it'd be easy for some non-believers and maybe even some newer Christians to say, what kind of father would do that? What kind of father, knowing what was about to happen and having the power to stop it, what kind of father would tell his child no and send him into that kind of suffering and pain? And, and another fair question would be, what kind of child just accepts that answer? Just accepts the answer and goes, okay. Especially when that child had the power to stop it. Christ had the power to stop it right then and there. He tells his disciples, you know, do you th don't think I could call down legions of angels and stop this right now? And when the crowd came to arrest him, and John, it talks about how they said, you know, he said, who are you here, who are you here for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. And it, just at the mere mention of the words I am, they fell back and fell on their faces just from the mere words. But then he tells them, do what you have to do. Come on. Let these other guys go. Take me. What kind of father, what kind of son does that? The kind of father, the kind of son that loves you and loves me so much that the father's heart will break the son will go through excruciating torture and death. All to prevent us, you and me, from being told no when we ask for forgiveness. To prevent us from being told no when we ask to accept us into their kingdom. When we, to prevent us from being told no when we ask Christ to come into our life. To prevent us from being told no when we stand at the gates of heaven and want in. That's the kind of father and son. So how do you handle being told no? None of us like it, right? We don't like it. Do we demand explanations? When God tells us no, do we demand an explanation? You know, do we throw a fit? Do we argue? Do we plead? Do we rebel? Do we bargain? Do we turn our back and walk away from God? I didn't like being told no when I prayed for four years for my wife to be healed for cancer. I didn't like being told no when I prayed on two separate occasions for biopsies to come back negative for cancer. No one, including God, expected to like being told no. Jesus didn't like it. There are times when, when God tells us no, that we feel like he's abandoned us, that he just doesn't love us anymore. Jesus felt that way on the cross when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But as Christians, as followers of Christ, as children of the Father, no matter how much it feels, it may feel like God doesn't love us or has left us, he still loves us. 
and he's not there. He's actually closer to us in those moments and when we pull closer to him in those moments than most of us do at any other time. So what do you do when God says no? You do three things. You turn to him, you trust him, and you thank him. He's a loving father that knows much more than we do. And wants only the best for us. But the, the catch here is what is best for us a lot of times doesn't look like what we think the best for us is going to look like. But God knows more than we do. He knows his plan. He knows where we are in that plan. And he knows what's best for his plan and us fulfilling that plan. And sometimes, again, it just doesn't look what we think it's going to look like. It doesn't mean having a pain-free life with no stress, no worries, no problems. God never promised to make everything okay, not on this earth. In heaven, yes. Here, no. He never promised that. He promised to be with us through all of it. What's really best means us being closer to him. It means a life where we seek his will, not ours. Jesus in the garden, Father, please don't make me do this. But if it's your will, then okay. It's not a selfish prayer. It's a prayer of what God wants. It means a life that not only includes the short amount of time that we're here on earth, but also includes eternity in his presence. It means recognizing his love in the midst of struggles and suffering and thanking him and praising him. We're part of what's referred to as the Western Church or the church in the, the Western Hemisphere. Right? And it's actually much different than other churches around the world because in the Western Church over the years there's been a gradual, I don't know what the right word to use is, where we have slipped into a consumer mindset, where we no longer think along the terms of we are to serve God. We, we voice those words, but in our heart and in our minds and in our actions, we're looking for God to serve us. We think serving means only showing up every now and then. Did you know that right now in the United States, average church attendance is twice a month? Twice a month is the average church attender for the person who says that they are heavily involved in the church. But we think if we show up uh, you know, once a week, uh, even if we show up every, every Sunday morning, you're showing up once a week and and singing a few songs or maybe just listening to songs and, and then listening to, to a message for a few minutes, possibly throwing a little money in and go on. We think that we've done our part, and in return for that, God should grant our wishes. God should serve us and never say no to us because we think that in that mindset that we know more than God does. We know what's best. I know what's best for me more than God knows what's best for me. When my mother told me no, that I couldn't go on that date, I was embarrassed, humiliated, disappointed, and I was 
so angry with my mother. But if she hadn't have intervened, I would have probably made decisions that would alter the rest of my life in a very negative way. When God told me no, when I asked for Kay to be healed from cancer, I asked for her to be healed this side of heaven. He said no, but he healed her on the other side of heaven. And those of you that knew Kay knew that more than anything, she loved to praise God. And now she's doing that nonstop. And because of what Kay went through and how she went through it and how she turned to God, trusted him and praised him during that, how in the hospital two nights before her death, she was singing worship songs, standing beside her bed, having to have her arms helped to be held up, singing praises and trusting God because she knew he was in control and his plan is what mattered. Because of that, she taught me and countless others how to go through suffering and struggle and image Christ while she was doing it. And then when he told me not once but twice that I had cancer, during my bouts of cancer when it would have been very easy to think God doesn't love me, why is he doing this to me, why is he allowing this to me? He was there, I know God loves me. He never left me. I could feel his love. It was shown to me over and over and over again. Even when he tells you no, it's out of love. It's out of love. It's a love that comes from a father that literally knows everything that has happened, what is happening, what's going to happen. A father's knowledge is infinite and his love for you and for me is just as infinite even though we can't get our minds wrapped around that he loves us that much so what do you do when God says no three things you turn to him you trust him and you thank him let's pray Father we come to you there are a lot of people here today, Lord, that are suffering and struggling in our own ways, about our own things. But, Father, we're turning to you. Father, we're trusting you. We know that your ways are ways that are beyond our understanding. But that's because you're God and we're not. And, Father, we we recognize you as God and we honor you as God and praise you as God and we trust you as God. And Father, when you tell us no, we still turn to you, we still trust you, and we still thank you and praise you because of your love for us. Father, those of us that, that struggle and suffer, help those words ring over and over and over 
in our hearts and in our minds when we go through those times to turn to you and to trust you and to thank you. Because, Father, we know you want and we want to draw closer to you. In your son's name. here at the front and at the back as the band leads us in worship go ahead and stand if you would please as the band leads us in worship as we close out our service today feel free to take communion in either place trust him turn to him trust him and thank him